Hello again and welcome back, I guess, to my second episode of Acting Like a Woman for my project slash podcast um, set up for for my uh, talking about women in theatre throughout history and the entertainment business and, and if there's any kind of correlation between how they stood, social, how women were viewed socially compared to how they were viewed in theatre and the entertainment industry and, and just kind of having a bit of a research. So if you listen to the last episode, I was talking about Margaret Hughes, who was the first woman on the stage and a bit more about restoration drama and the era and just life in the kind of 17th century going into the 18th century and uh, now we are jumping ahead into the Victorian era and um, a very famous Victorian actress who actually lived until she was 81 so she was born in 1847 and died in 1928 so she had a really really long life um, filled with kind of you know ups and downs and I'm going to talk a bit about her I've got a lot of research on her she was a very very interesting woman um and so I thought you know why not why not look at her and and see see what she did and then also look at Victorian era the Victorian era itself and theatre in the Victorian era and yeah just all of that so once again I don't have a script but I've got quite a lot of detailed research for this woman she was uh she had a long life and that's that's you can tell that through um through the research and obviously because it was in historical context I guess not that long ago um we have a lot more information on her and what she was like as a woman and and the things she did uh, and there's a lot more records and, and she was actually really famous for her time and and I think a lot of people will still still know her today or or know who she was and, and the kind of things that she did. So, uh, I mean, I certainly recognised her name and recognised the name of her daughter more than I thought I would when I first was researching her. And, you know, any pictures and stuff, I've definitely seen them before. So, uh, so yeah, it was it was quite fun researching about her. So, um, so I guess I'll get going. So I guess I'll get started. Um, I'm going to do a bit more of a timeline kind of layout of her life, just because that's kind of what I've got in front of me and and then kind of talk about her and, and not my opinions on her, but just, you know, things, things that she did and kind of discuss it a bit more as I'm going through. So she was born, like I said, 1847, um, but she was actually born to a family of actors so she was kind of born into the craft already, which I guess in a weird way gave her a bit of a head start. But, you know, she was, from what I've seen and read, she was a very talented woman. So she was very comfortable in the craft. And um, and I guess that's that's quite, you know, that helps. 
but she actually had quite a rocky start to, to acting due to relationships that she had with people. So at 16, she got married to a 46-year-old artist. And I know, I know, it sounds very, um, quite scandalous, but... Um, yeah, it was it was it was a very whirlwind romance. You know, they they were married and separated after only a year of being together. They um he he was an artist and she kind of was um, his muse. They met and she and her sisters modeled for him a few times in paintings and um yeah, and she was she was quite from what I've read she she seemed quite impressionable. Um, so she was very fascinated by art and luxurious lifestyles and, and she'd kind of grown up, especially with acting family and parents, she'd grown up, you know, with this luscious life and kind of everything, lots of gifts, lots of lovely things, pretty dresses, looking nice and she was quite impressionable. So when this artist took interest in her, she she was fascinated and he proposed to her, I think, three months after knowing her and um but I don't think you should take the fact that she she enjoyed art and the luscious lifestyle I mean she was only 16 so she was very young to my age and I can't imagine marrying a 46 year old at my age so um so yeah I was quite shocked when I read it but she was also really clever like she used the fact that she was marrying a 46 year old artist as a kind of leg up almost into the into the business she got into the deep kind of crevices she used it as a networking opportunity you know she was she was 16 and she had a 46 year old husband but he was an artist and she wanted to go into the art so she met poets and playwrights and painters and kind of built a bit of a name for herself so that she could form this kind of platform in which she could go on to to do her acting so you know I mean their relationship you wouldn't really expect it to last a 16 and a 46 year old so you know only after a year they split up but they still remained really good friends um he designed a lot of her costumes when they were older and and, uh, you know it was heard that he never really fell out of love with her and she kind of moved on but but they were very very close still kind of as life went on but um there was a lot of rumors that the reason that she well she was uncomfortable a with being a child bride but b she she had a really bad relationship with his really close circle of friends and um and apparently they were really really horrible to her you know they they didn't invite him and her to things they were rude about her very very, made it very difficult for her to to kind of form friendships and so even though she was using it as a networking opportunity she she found it really difficult and I think the pressure became a lot and she also missed acting she wasn't acting as much um so she kind of stood back from um from from George Watts who was the 46 year old artist and she kind of went went back to acting was received very well you know after the networking opportunities that she did and um and then she met a uh, architect called Edward Goodwin and um who was she was a lot old, she was a bit older at the time and he was a bit younger so they you know it was about what 30 well 10 9 10 years later so so she was she was a lot more mature and he was closer to her age and she fell in love with him and much to her, actually, much to her parents' dislike, 
she formed a relationship with him. But the funny thing was, her marriage or divorce wasn't finalised until 1877. So 13 years after she'd initially got married was the divorce finalised. So she actually, it was, she wasn't divorced until um, she, yeah, 13 years later. So she'd already met... um, Goodwin she'd already met Goodwin and they'd had two children um they and many many people had a lot to say about that she took six years out out of acting um to a look after the children but also because she was you know really frowned upon her her kind of you know she was disregarded as a woman it was the fact that she she was they were out of wedlock they had two children he was an architect you know it was very very you know it had a lot of gossip around the situation so she took a step back from acting and after six years she kind of came back and made quite a big impact she was in a couple of plays and really really got recognized but the kind of time when her career properly took off like properly soared was when she joined Henry Irving's company uh, in 1878 and his company came from the Lyceum Theatre in London, which, if you have seen The Lion King, is where The Lion King is currently showing in London. Um, it's on the Strand by Charing Cross. And, you know, it was a huge theatre. It was very, very central. Um, it was getting a lot of attention. Henry Irving had a huge company. And she kind of joined and became the, the leading lady. She she was with Irving's company for basically the next two decades and um, she was considered the leading Shakespearean and comic actress in Britain for those two for those two decades she stayed with him she toured Britain she toured America she had very she's very famous for the role she played in um, the the plays that they put on that were Shakespeare so she played Portia in The Merchant of Venice and Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing and these two roles were huge for her career I mean she was recognized all over the world it was kind of a you know a world-renowned world-renowned actress people came from all over just to see her perform because she had these amazing reviews she was very intelligent brilliant on stage kind of acted with a kind of ease and the fact that she it actually was reported that she was the easiest person to work with. She was very kind, quite funny, um, very very snappy, very upbeat. So people really enjoyed her her acting, but also working with her. So so it was a lot easier easier to convince people to you know give her that that free train trip or give her that that you know one more night in the theatre because so many people wanted an encore and blah blah blah. And she got away with so much in in her life, and she toured, you know, with great success. And um, and yeah, and she was she was just she was amazing, and she had so much recognition from those two decades with Irving that that people just you know ate her up really as a as an actress. So another thing was the fact that she was a muse for many other artists and poets so Oscar Wilde who you I hope have heard about um was so entranced by one of her performances he wrote a sonnet about her and um you know she she was recognized by by all kinds of people and 
you know it was just this the first kind of step for, for the woman being recognized this widely you know not many other women had this much recognition in any kind of field and she she smashed it she was an actress she was beautiful clever still very youthful and and people people just adored her I found a few quotes which I find really quite fun to read um, from reviews that she had. So the Times in 1879 called her performance full of movement, ease and laughter, the most exquisite harmony and natural grace. And another newspaper, The Era in 1880, said that the fascinating powers of Miss Ellen Terry, who achieved an undoubted triumph and was cheered again and again. And, you know, she, if those don't show how much she was appreciated, then I'm I'm not sure what will. But there was, you know, she also comes with fame, as we know, with celebrities. There also comes a lot of gossip. Um, So there was a lot of speculation over the years whether Henry Irving, the the company director, and Ellen Terry had been together as more than just professional colleagues. And um, and it was it was a huge gossip net. You know, so many people were interested in that. They thought this was like the peak of of celebrity gossip, if you can believe it, in the uh, Victorian era. But yeah, she and when he died, um, Terry wrote or said for quite a few memoirs about him that they were in fact lovers and that they'd been, you know, terribly in love and very, very passionate about each other, which I think is really quite nice, actually. I, I didn't actually find if he was, if she was kind of still with um, Goodwin when when she was talking with Irving because it was still quite you know there wasn't really any detail gone into their relationship so I wasn't 100% sure but I from the way that Goodwin wasn't really mentioned much afterwards I think they weren't together but um but yeah I'm not really sure but in yeah in 1903 she actually took um over the management of a theatre which actually was a massive financial failure but she she carried on touring she carried on lecturing and she was still on stage as late as 1922 and um and she appeared in even some films from 1916 to to 1924 I think before she died in 1928 so her life on stage was actually kind of based over the span of seven decades she was she was around in the entertainment business being this powerful woman that that you know actresses and actors alike looked up to that you know she 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 became a poster girl for 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 women and and encouraged actresses and kind of showed what you can get to and and she she created a legacy I mean she's still got buildings named after her in Coventry University and she has, you know, her own section in V&A theatre history, and she was just, yes, it was, it's amazing, really. Um, her daughter, Edith Craig, went on to be a theatre director, producer, costume designer, and an early pioneer of actually the women's suffrage movement in the UK. So that was, you know, and then her son Edward Gordon Craig became an actor and scenery and effects designer, illustrator, and director. So they all had ties to the entertainment industry which I just think is so interesting the fact that she kind of created this legacy for herself and her children carried it on and you know and she's still 
known today as being one of the kind of first real world known actresses and I just think that's that's a really cool kind of talent to have and she yeah she came from an acting family and she was kind of creating scandal since she was 16 but really she she set up the the building blocks for women in the entertainment industry and and I just think it's that's a really cool title to have to be honest so as much as I could happily talk about Ellen Terry for hours and hours on end I'm sure you don't have that much time to spare and um, and I actually need to talk about other stuff in this episode as well so I'm moving on to Victorian theatre and the era of Victorian theatre and you know what it was like what it was known for kind of renowned um advances I guess so the Victorian era itself is actually described as just being when it was Queen Victoria was um doing her reign yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) when Queen Victoria was um the monarch of England uh she and her husband Albert were very very keen theatre goers they loved drama they loved theatre and with the fact that the British Empire was the yeah, the British Empire was doing so well. Um, they were building up the, the Commonwealth and... Was it the Commonwealth then? Gosh, I probably should have looked into that. <laughs> um, they were building up the British Empire and the Industrial Revolution was taking place and, and just there were so many technolo- technological and scientific and mechanical advancements and there was factories and workers and population and just booming. Like, the world was booming so you know why why couldn't theatre and drama as well uh so a, a big thing in victorian era was kind of the drama itself was shaped by its audience so it was kind of the i mean opera became a really big thing during the victorian era um but that was more shaped by the upper classes the wealthier the the elaborate dresses and and it became the 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 art of going to the opera was was a huge event and um you know the royal opera house and all of those places were were massive and beautiful scenery and amazing singers and and acting as well and it was the first kind of musical theater if you will that there really was and um and it just took flight and so many people but it was very expensive so it was only really for the upper class but then the working class people um whose population which is a really interesting fact i found whose population the working class population tripled between 1810 and 1850 due to the industrial revolution and the fact that just like it was taking off and so many workers were flooding into the central cities for factories and jobs and just money just accumulating wealth for themselves um as much as they could i guess and uh, they wanted uh, a form of entertainment you know and theater became you know offered itself up for it so uh but it was you know they were very interested in seeing scenic wonders and machinery and, and amazing things to be looking at which um so yeah so audiences kind of grew in number more people were approaching the theatre so um so the kind of Georgian theatre which was the stage really in between I mean obviously there were a lot of stages but it's the big stage between restoration and Victorian so the Georgian era 
was um, a very, you know, theatre was very small, very delicate, very intricate, you know, it was, you know, very small audiences, little little wooden chairs and, and a nice little play and pretty dresses. It wasn't like that at all. It was, especially with the working class, it was big theatres, big audiences, you know, big laughs, huge dramatic plays just that got all the attention and it was relatively cheap because, you know, people, yes, they, they had leisure time, but they couldn't really afford a lot to 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 dedicate to it but yeah that kind of Georgian theatre idea began to fall away and um and Victorian theatre as as is known by most historians and dramatical historians um kind of came in but another big thing that that kind of Victorian theatre was was really really known for was um it's staging you know there was they were playing with new staging plans new sets um that was the real significant kind of point or, or turning point that made the victorian dramatical era what it was it was the fact that you know they were they were modern and playing with new ways of of theater i guess um so a few examples of this are William Capon, who was an early 19th century designer, um, but he was kind of an important pioneer, if you will, in elaborate scenery. So he used a lot of angles and huge backcloths and amazing designs rather than you know flats and wings that kind of previous theatres had really grown accustomed to. And people ate it up. It was contemporary, it was modern, it was new and a lot of people, a lot of working class people who haven't really been subjected to much theatre just simply because they couldn't afford it, that were now getting this amazing world of theatre, just loved. They they loved the fact that they could they could see it and they could they could visualise it. Um, another thing was the box set, which was introduced by a woman, I know, very exciting, called um, Lucia Vestris, and she was. Um, important in setting up this box set and which is basically the bo- a box on stage and not just relying on wings for actors to come in they had she had doors with hinges that also served as entrances she had stairs and and they made this room and you were watching a scene and it was very realistic they were very I guess hooked on on being a historically accurate and be realistically accurate you know rather than a door being off and someone coming in and the room being huge it was the fact that they literally opened a door and walked in it was very realistic and people enjoyed seeing it because it's what they witnessed and they could relate to it so so yeah and, and ways that this kind of was a was able to happen was just due to the the mechanical advancements you know it was when hydraulics were were beginning to be used which allowed large things to be pushed up onto the stage you know during the intervals and these these were wonders like people had never seen it ever before in their life and they were they were so astounded by it because you know it was just something that they'd never witnessed before um musical dramas and, and burlesque became a lot more popular as the 19th century was kind of drawing to a close these these elaborate costumes and, and amazing songs and music you know they were so much more interesting and exciting to watch rather than a three-hour play about Christ, i don't know farmers <laughs> like you know it's 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 something that they were really it was just so new and and it was given the ability to do it because of the 
fact that it was in central London, it, it had the mechanics and technology available to it, and and it was such a booming business. You know, it was getting more money and and more um more recognition, and people just just loved it. It was a great leisure time, especially before cinema. Um, I mean, cinema was a whole new thing, and I'll talk about that in the next podcast because that's what I'll kind of be focusing on more in that side of the entertainment industry and TV. And but but it was the kind of drawing to the close of of just mechanical masterpieces in theatre because it was the it was one of the best ways to display it. So yeah, that's that's setting. But another really big thing, which very nicely ties into my topic of. Um, feminism and women in in the entertainment industry I was quite chuffed with this I didn't actually know that it was a big thing but women managers women theatre managers and um you know it was it was a it was a huge first in Victorian theatre like no woman had kind of ventured into um you know maybe they dabbled in costume and stage design and stuff like that but actually managing a company or a theatre became a really big thing in um in Victorian Britain due to the fact that so many women were actresses and, and women managers were, were basically a close second um so yeah they were I mean I think it was due to more education for girls um in the Victorian era in what well, later in the Victorian era um women gaining more freedom socially obviously they still had a huge way to go I mean you can't you can't deny that they didn't even have the vote yet but it was becoming easier and easier for women to do jobs that were previously only carried out by men. So the reason that women went to theatre management was the fact that A, it was a second after acting. So if you were a failed actress, you could be like, well, I already know a lot about the craft. Maybe I can try my hand in this and I won't maybe get frowned upon or try to go away from the job as much. So they were they were kind of welcomed with open arms really due to the fact that they were very organized they had different creative ideas um they but they also had the ability and i think this is a really important one they had the ability to relate to actresses um you know they had the ability to these actresses that had to deal with these men who thought their ideas were grand and blah blah blah, blah, blah um got quite egotistical at the time they they finally had a woman who they could relate to who was bossing them or well, bossing them around but it was they were a lot more comfortable with it i think um and i think that helped women get into those positions because people were so so much more likely to work with them so so yeah i think that's that's really what what was um what struck me as something that i didn't actually know um that i found out through this research that i just found really interesting but um but yeah, so Victoria, the Victorian era itself, although the drama, the actual drama they were showing wasn't that different from Georgian. It was more the, the, tech, the, the technicalities behind it and the, you know, the machinery using the technology that, that really made its mark as, as a kind of stepping stone into the next decade of, of theatre. And, and I think finding that out, I've just, yeah, I found it really interesting. one was a bit longer than the last episode but there was like I said there was a lot more research well not a lot more research a lot more information um on 
Ellen and the Victorian era and I just found it so interesting like there was so much more there were so many more advancements that I didn't really know and you know I didn't really know anything about the Victorian era I mean I you hear about it and I think I studied it in year five but I didn't I didn't know that much about it and you don't really hear as a as a drama stage or era you don't really hear a lot about it um but obviously I've learned that staging and there was a lot of things that stemmed from Victorian theatre and yeah I just really enjoyed learning about it and um and I hope that that has been displayed through my podcasting um so next episode will be looking at the as I already said 1920s flapper woman um a actress called Clara Bow who you might have heard of um I'm gonna look more at American entertainment because I've talked a lot about British uh I'm going to look at American and uh the the women in America and the time of 1920s and and the roaring 20s and the kind of Gatsby era-esque ideas and maybe then what happened in the depression um I've already looked at a lot but obviously it was a lot harder in the depression because not as many theatre because everyone was out of jobs and blah 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 but that is for next episode um so I'm not going to give it all away here um but yeah I hope you enjoyed listening to my second instalment of acting like a woman um and I, I hope you listen to the next one I guess so yeah thank you very much mm-hmm.